Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. When they don't like your dish, you know how people like get roasted when a dish sucks? Bro, they get extra, extra roasted in person. They would be like, oh, the flavors are really good. I like what you did with this. And that's what they put on TV. And then they're like, but you should have done this instead. And you should have seared this a little bit longer. And then the sauce needs more of this. Like they, they give you a lot of constructive criticism, I guess. You'd think they'd want to put that stuff on TV. That's the fiery, the more contentious stuff. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. This is Tim. And today, our guest is Autumn Moretti. She's the co-runner-up on MasterChef Season 11, also known as MasterChef Legends. She's here to talk about what it was like cooking for Gordon Ramsay, what went on behind the scenes, and what's coming up next for her. But first, we're going to get into hot takes. Tim, you want to start off? Sure, man. So over the last, you know, almost two years we've been doing the show i think we've pretty much pinpointed just about all of our uh nitpicky airport habits but i want to i want i've got one more today for you when you're approaching your gate uh there's still some time left to board you're one of the first to arrive at the gate do you sit close to the gate or do you sit further away from the gate knowing that a bunch of people that are probably going to be annoying and congregate around the gate are going to sit near the gate i'm never one of the first to arrive at the gate Tim that's your first that's your first mistake fair enough uh if if I were one of the first to arrive I well let's say you're at a layover you know you're on a layover so what else are you gonna do you're gonna go to the lounge or you're gonna go to the gate I'm gonna go to the lounge if I can that's that's why I'm always the last to arrive I'm either last to arrive because I cut my departure to the airport as late as I possibly could uh or because I've spent as much time as I could in the lounge but if I do get to the gate early I would sit as close as I can, knowing that pretty much anywhere is going to fill up. Like, even if you sit far away from your gate, even at another gate, that one's going to get busy at some point, too. The only reason I might not sit directly up front, like right where the desk is, is because that's where the gate lice all congregate. When people stand around yeah. waiting for yeah. the plane to board, even though it's not going to board for another 45 minutes, that's where everyone stands, and that crowds me. So I'm obviously not going to sit there. But no, I want to sit like relatively close. I want to be able to hear any announcements and see the the board if there's any flight uh, changes in flight time or whatever. Uh, so I will try to sit as close as I can. But no, getting early to the gate and sitting there early, huge rookie move, Tim. Yeah, I mean, I found my you know my preference for that is to sit to one of the rows of seats that's to the side of the gate. You know, maybe in between your gate and the next gate, where you can still hear everything, but you're kind of out of the way. And then, you know, kind of move your way closer if you need to. Yeah, I like if there's all the seats are open and I have my pick of anything, I'll just sit on the floor and open my laptop. It's just, it's just a boss move. People are like, wait, what's this guy doing? All the seats are open. He's sitting on the floor. It makes people scratch their heads. You get in their head. You're already winning the psychological battle before it even starts. Yeah, but no, for real though, if there's like a wall or like a wall with an outlet, I'll actually pick that a lot of times over a seat because no one's going to sit next to me there. You know, I don't, I hate sitting on the ground in general, but if you sit in a seat, someone's going to sit next to you. It's, it's going to be awkwardly close. Their elbows are kind of like just on a plane. Uh, their elbows are going to encroach onto my space. 
sit on the floor, sit your back against the window. No one will bother you. Um, all right. My question for you is what is a reasonable amount of travel that you can ask of people for a bachelor party when planning a bachelor party for someone else trying to decide where to go? What is a reasonable amount of travel? So it depends if the people that are going to the event have a shared interest that you're building the trip around. For example, I had my bachelor party in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which, you know, is a day's travel from Denver. And it was a day's travel from everybody that came. But it was worth it because everybody that went was a snowboarder. And we went there to do that, you know, uh, also to party. But, you know, you can do that there. If you're just kind of going and it's people from maybe all different walks of the of the groom's life and they don't know each other that well, I think people are going to be less inclined to go really far away or to somewhere that's really expensive unless that somewhere is Vegas. Okay. I think you're, that makes sense and I agree with most of that. I, I, I ask because I'm going to two bachelor parties in the next few months. One of them, I have no part in the planning process um, and it's in Boston. It's one night in Boston. It's a regular night out. We might get a hotel room. I'm going to drive 45 minutes, stay in a hotel, go out, go out to the bars in the city. That'll be it. Very little planning involved. The other one, which I am, I'm not planning it as the sole planner, but I'm one of the groomsmen. So I'm helping to plan it is much more organized and elaborate. And people are throwing around ideas on where to go. And those ideas range from driving two and a half hours to Foxwoods to flying to Miami or Jamaica. And these people are throwing out all kinds of ideas. And as much as I would love to go to Jamaica, in my mind for a bachelor party, you want something that's fun and memorable and that's kind of like a mini vacation, but that doesn't demand too, too much of people that you don't want to lose people who would otherwise come to the bachelor party, but won't because you've now made cost a factor or distance a factor. It's more important to have the people there that you like, that you want to celebrate with than having like an epic destination, which is kind of the same way I feel about weddings. So I, as much as I, I don't think personally I would have one in Boston because that's just too close to a regular night out for me. But Jamaica feels too far, like not like too much of a big deal compared to Boston's not enough of a big deal. So where is the sweet spot? Yeah, I think the thing to keep in mind is that if you the the bigger you go, the more people are going to be resentful in their heads. And they might not be vocal about that resentment, but there's always going to be somebody that is like not happy about the fact that he has to shell out a bunch of money and take a day off of work to go to a bachelor party. Weddings are a little bit different because it's the wedding, but the bachelor party, like people are going to be more resentful about that. Yeah, no, one of my friends who's a, a girl got married, or is getting married, and she had her bachelorette party in Arizona. And a few of the bridesmaids I know were kind of like, they had a lot of weddings to go to that year and they were strapped for cash. And I think one ended up not going because of the money. And if I'm the bride in that case, I'm like, you know what? While having it in Scottsdale, Arizona is, is cool and everything, I would rather have all my bridesmaids, groomsmen, whatever, they're celebrating with me than sacrificing a few of them for location what's more important i don't know and everyone's different some people the location might be more important but for planning this kid's bachelor party we're kind of trying to figure out a, an intermediary a mini little road trip maybe takes like two to three four hours to get somewhere and then you stay there for a weekend 
So I think and that's I think, and I think that's appropriate. That's yeah, appropriate. That that I think is the sweet spot. Yeah. Now, now that we've planned this kid's whole bachelor party on our podcast, um, you're welcome, Zach. We'll get into the interview with Autumn. We'll see you guys on the other side. Autumn Reddy was the co-runner-up on MasterChef Season 11, also known as MasterChef Legends, which aired in summer 2021. Autumn, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So explain briefly how MasterChef works for anyone listening who isn't familiar with the show. So it's pretty much um, a food competition show. Um, It's all home cooks. And, you know, just competing to be the best home cook in America. Um, So I always cook at home. I figured it would be, you know, a fun little thing to do. And so how did you get involved in the show? How did you get inspired to try out or how were you tapped to to be a contestant? Yeah, so um, of course you have to like audition first and everything. But I never, I never would have like thought to go on a cooking show ever. Um, but I cook at home all the time for my siblings, my friends, everything. So they were all pretty much harassing me all the time. Um, you know, just telling me like, you should just try out. Like, why not? Like, just go for it. And ah, that's what I did. Never would have thought I would make it, but it's pretty surprising. What's the audition process like? Do you, do they have you cook stuff for them? And then if you do well enough, they are like, okay, you can be on the show or what's, how's that work? So for me, the way I did it, there's a few different processes for auditioning, but the way I did it um, was I went to this hotel in downtown Boston, and you have to show up like with food already made, like your whole dish, everything. And I had to go into a room, there was probably like 80 people in this room all auditioning at a time, like doing groups of 80. So there was a shit ton of people there. But I went in with like these 80 people and you have to bring a plate, you have to bring serving utensils and everything. And they give you, I think it's two minutes to plate your whole dish, which like, yeah, you think about it and you're like, okay, two minutes is like a decent amount of time to plate. But bitch, I was like down to the wire. And then they have all these people, um, people that work for Gordon Ramsay and everything that come around and they try everyone's dishes and they're asking you like, so many questions like, what did you put in the sauce? How long did you cook the meat for? Did you marinate it? What kind of seasonings did you do? Like a million questions. And then from there, they choose, like they have like a few people come forward and whatnot. Um, so I went forward and then they were like, okay, all you guys go upstairs. We had to go upstairs. We had to do this whole like little, it was probably like, out of the 80 people that I was with, probably like 15 of us went upstairs for like more interview. Um, and then up there, they're like, okay, we're going to go in a line. You have 10 minutes. Tell us everything about you. And I'm like, what? So like, I did that. After that, there was like a few different camera interviews that I had to do, Zoom interviews, um, psych evaluations, doctors. I had to go to the doctors and have him fill out some stuff. And it was just, it was a lot. Like, it was a lot of stuff. And then even after that, they have you, they sent you this email with a list And I'm telling you, this was like the craziest list of my life. All this shit you have to cook. And you have to cook it on video and send it to them. And you can't like leave the frame so they know somebody else isn't cooking your stuff or whatever. But that list was crazy. And then if you do the list and and they like the way you cooked on the video and all that, then you get to go to L.A. And there's still more auditioning and stuff out there. You don't even guaranteed on the show when you fly out there. Sounds like a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. When they ask you to describe yourself in 10 minutes, was that something you were prepared for? Like, what do you say? 
Oh, absolutely not. Where do you start with that? So I all started when I was born. Yeah, I was pretty much like I pretty much just talked about like my cooking. I was like, I'm from a big family. I'm from Massachusetts. Um, You know, my parents grew up cooking. I cooked with my grandparents and I just like was talking about like just my family life, essentially. I love the uh, so it's a pre-made food that you have to bring. Like you have to make the food at home and you bring it in for that uh, for the audition. Right. And then you have to explain explain to them how you could have got that food anywhere. You didn't have to make that. You could have been like I, I went to like a six steakhouse in Boston ordered out got this got the steak and i just brought it into you guys like you could you could you could just fake it right i mean you definitely could but then when it comes to that long list of video of the videos you have to cook like you don't know how to cook they're gonna know right (laughs) it won't get you that far yeah but like for me like when i was when i went in for that initial audition with my food that i had to bring the only thing i'm thinking in my head was i need to make something that is gonna taste good in four hours media like cold almost <laughs> i was like it has to like taste good in the long run and some of the people i was in line with bro they were telling me what they made and i was like listen bitch that is not gonna taste good <laughs> and then I spoke off like the dude behind me in line i was like what did you make and he goes oh i made a seven seafood fettuccine alfredo <laughs> i'm like yeah bomb but like not six hours later buddy what was it that you feel like did it for you like why did they choose you what got you upstairs and then what got you to LA um well my food definitely got me upstairs because that shit was fire what was it by the way well I did a um lemon garlic and herb pork tenderloin with some caramelized shallot mashed potatoes and some sauteed green beans and like a red wine sauce oh I love lukewarm mashed potatoes like I love it they were pretty fire. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, obviously, my personality is flames, so I like <laughs> <laughs> No lack of self-confidence. You got the Boston the Boston fire going for sure. Oh, yeah. And then, like, when I had to do – so they sent you that, like, whole list of all these videos you had to make. Some of them, it took me, like – like, for example, one of the videos they had you, like, make, like, in front of the camera and all this shit is a homemade mayonnaise and i'm like okay you just gotta emulsify some freaking eggs and oil bro i was going to the grocery store every like 15 minutes i could not do it Uh i could not do it i kept fucking that shit up so bad to the point where like all you need is like fucking two three eggs i think i went through like at least six dozen and then obviously only sent them the good video so you could do the uh the braised pork tenderloin with the mayonnaise that's what uh that was the hang up the mayonnaise was a set. I literally was like, bro, if they put me on camera, on like live TV, and they tell me to make a mayonnaise, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you get to choose what you make on the show, or do they tell you this is what you have to make, and or do you get any creative freedom? Yeah, so you get to make whatever you want, but the catch is they don't give you a recipe. Ah, okay. So I was pretty like, like there was like a few, like for example, the dessert episode. Okay, let me rewind. When you audition for the show, like your first initial like audition when you go up for your white apron, you have to choose four dishes. You choose a meat, a seafood, a dessert, and a wild card. So obviously I knew my dessert was flames, so I did my dessert for my audition dish. But then when it came to the dessert episode, I was one of the only people that did my like dessert that I like memorized to go out there. So like the dessert oh, okay. episode, I was like, oh, can I just get like a cake recipe or something? And they're like, bitch, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay. 
So that was like, I feel like that was like my biggest struggle was that dessert one because yeah, I got to make whatever I wanted, but like, I don't know, like desserts are very like, you know, technical and I didn't know that. And then, so you make the food, the judges try it. And these are the judges, this is a cast of like legendary judges. You got like Emeril Lagasse oh, yeah. and uh, Gordon Ramsay. And then they try it. If they don't like it, you're off. And if they like it, you make it to the next round. That's kind of how it works, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of times the food sits there for a little bit too. So like while you're cooking, they'll come over and they'll be tasting everything, like every step of the way. So they'll like know like, okay, like for example, I made a sauce once and it definitely needed salt. So they tried it and they were like, do you think the sauce is good? And I'm like, yeah. And then they just walked away and I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, tell me. So then I tried it and I was like, oh shit, it needs salt. And then like when they're trying my dish up at the end, they're like, oh, you, you added stuff to the salt, you, uh, to the salt, to the sauce. They're like you changed it. And I'm like, yeah. So they like see how you like progress through the cooking too. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of like read their reactions sometimes. Like if they taste it, they're like, oh, you like the sauce? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, mm, okay. And they walk away. It's like, you're like, they, they, they think I need, they need something. Yeah. Sometimes you can read them. Sometimes like Joe, Joe will just have this look and you're like, was that good? Was that bad? Did that suck? <laughs> I feel like Gordon Ramsay in particular has kind of given food television this personality of like throwing pans across the kitchen and if you don't get it right, you're fucked and like you just have to do everything like under so much pressure. Did you feel that when you were cooking on the show or was it more, was there any kind of a community vibe to it at all? Um, so I told him off rip, like the first time I met him, I go, listen, if you scream at me, I will cry on TV, so don't do that. <laughs> He's like, good, that's what we want. Right? Well, he said to me, he goes, he goes, most of the time people see me screaming is house kitchen, and those are professional chefs that should know what they're doing. He goes, I'm going to be a little easier on you guys because you guys are home cooks and you have no training. So I was like, thank God. <laughs> I was like, thank goodness. But still, this isn't the Great British Bake Off. you got to get it right. We're going to oh, be Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I, like, always told myself, like, bitch, you can get to the finale as long as your food doesn't taste like ass. And, like, there'd be times I'd be tasting something, and I'm like, yeah, that's not so good, not putting it on the plate. So, like, (laughs) I tried to strategize. (laughs) We're going to take a short break from the interview for a word from our partners at Matador Network. Are you a travel writer, filmmaker, or an influencer who loves to travel the world for free? Check out creators.matadornetwork.com and explore one of our many press trips. Sign up for free. That's creators.matadornetwork.com. Happy travels. And now back to the interview. So did you ever work professionally in a kitchen before the show? You said, I know you were a bartender before this, but was cooking just kind of a hobby for you? Yeah, cooking has just always been a hobby for me. Like I've always just liked doing it. I've never... I never had any like professional training. I never worked in a restaurant like cooking or anything. So definitely being on camera too was like extremely like intimidating too. Like I'm like, oh, I just do this at home. Like I don't know if people are gonna roast me because I peeled a potato wrong or something, you know? Yeah. Well, and how many people on the show that were contestants do you think were there because they deserve to be there for their cooking ability or were just there because they had big personalities that would come across well on TV? Like was it, was everyone there pretty proficient at cooking or were some just like good TV people and you could tell that they, they didn't make it very far, but they were there because they, they were entertaining TV personalities. I think like everyone there that like, I feel like, yeah, you might've been able to find somebody for the show that might've been a better cook than some of the people there, but all of our personalities and like cooking talent was like on point. Mm -hmm. Like everyone was good. 
and everyone was friendly. We were all so like, like we used to like tell the producers like, are you guys gonna do something to make us fight soon? Because we were all so close because of COVID and everything. We couldn't hang out with anyone else but each other. Oh, interesting. So are you guys like having drinks afterwards and like shooting like the shit and getting to know each other and you guys are like commiserating about the process? Oh yeah, so before the show even started filming, we were out in LA for probably like two weeks. So we started off in LA with 70 people. And down to that 70, they cut it down to I think 40 for the on-camera auditions. So it went from 70 to 40 in LA and then 40 did the on-camera auditions, but obviously only 15 got aprons. But that two weeks before the show, we were all hanging out with each other, drinking in the pool, like vibing because we couldn't go out to bars. We couldn't go out and just, and we're very supervised. Like when I tell you, we were like, it was almost like a jail. Was that because of, because of COVID or because of like a secrecy surrounding the show? Both. So they said it was going to be a little brutal, just like the chaperones and all this, but then the COVID happened and they were like, we apologize. It's going to be extra brutal because of COVID. <laughs> but everyone got along. Like every, all the contestants pretty much vibed well and everyone still keeps in touch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm really close with like a lot of people that were on the show, mm-hmm. so still love them all. I'm, I'm curious what you, what, what comes out of something like this? Are there job opportunities? Are there other show opportunities? Are there just friendships? Like what is the next step once you've done a cooking show? So for so MasterChef doesn't they didn't like really help us with anything after the show. They was kind of like, oh thanks, bye. And I was like, okay. okay. But um, obviously since the show, like um, you know, I've been hanging out with everyone I was on the show with. You know, I've gone to visit Anne a few times. Um, I've chilled with Alejandro, Jersey Mike. Like we all hang out, um, which is fun because I love them. But even like on my Instagram and stuff or on my email, I'll get messages from restaurants being like, we love doing MasterChef. Like, do you want to come cook for us? And like, I, I am getting like a lot more opportunities. I've done private parties now. I've done um, a few catering events, which never would have thought I was doing in my life. But here we are <laughs> hoping for a new show. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, the this podcast is going to put you over the top. And now you're going to just get show offers all the time. Oh yeah, me and my friend, um, me and my friend Anne that were on the show, we're trying to, we're trying to do our own little like TV show situation. Hopefully, it works out. Where, what would the show be? What would the premise be? We haven't really figured it out. We just figured going out to eat and just eating a lot of food, and then going home and just cooking a lot of food <laughs> and a lot of alcohol because we love drink. Just, just going out to eat, just filming yourselves eating and drinking, and then going home and cooking more food. Yes. <laughs> like review, like reviewing the food that, that when you go out to eat, yeah. like like talking about. Yeah, and then we were thinking mm-hmm. about like finding our favorite thing that we ate at the restaurant, and then like trying to recreate it or something. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Is there like, do you see yourself doing that now when you're at a restaurant and it's a restaurant with like a pretty renowned chef or that's supposed to be really awesome? You're like, oh god, I could do this at home. Yeah, yeah. There's like. Especially when I go out to eat, I feel like I'm really picky when I go out to eat. Like, I'll have friends that are like, oh, let's go out and just get, I don't know, a cheeseburger. And I'm just like, I can make a better cheeseburger than most of these restaurants. I don't want to go get a cheeseburger. Like, right. when I go out to eat, I want it to be like flames. I want it to be like the best of the best food. Because otherwise, I can just go home and make that shit myself. So now you're trying to go out to like fancier spots. Like, like more elevated <laughs> dining experiences. Just like the casual stuff isn't doing it for you. Sometimes, but like I'll be going to dive bars sometimes and having some crazy food, and I'm like, what? I feel like I feel like if you could find a way to, to go back to your the, the cooking show you want to do, like a merging, like a dating show with a cooking show, that would blow up. 
Because, like, the two things that are huge right now, dating shows, like The Bachelor, and cooking shows. But no one's figured out how to, like, blend. If I had a dating show about myself, that would be a mess. My dating is, like, not good. A dating <laughs> slash cooking show. I don't know how you blend them, but you, you the brain. It's got to be. No, you get that you one one partner is the cook and the other partner is the bartender, and you have to, like, create a restaurant situation out of it without killing oh each other. Oh, my gosh. Hey, it would get views. <laughs> Or I bring the dudes to my house and I'm like, make me something. And if it sucks, yeah, out. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you ain't getting laid unless and you, you can just cook. scream at them the yeah. entire time they're cooking. Oh my god. <laughs> and uh, so our when I know you said the judges are or Gordon Ramsay was a little less harsh on you than on professional chefs, but were the judges as harsh in person behind the scenes? as they appear on the show? Um, did you have like a lot of interaction with them behind the scenes or not so much? We did. And so like, you know how you bring a dish up and they're like, oh, the flavor's delicious. And you like walk back. No bitch, you're standing there for like 10 minutes. And it's, so this is the thing I was worried about. Like they cut a lot out when they edit the show, mm -hmm. but like pretty much every single person got roasted the whole time. <laughs> okay. Like, they would be like, oh, the flavors are really good. I like what you did with this. And that's what they put on TV. And then they're like, but you should have done this instead. And you should have seared this a little bit longer. And then the sauce needs more of this. And, like, they, they give you a lot of constructive criticism, I guess. You'd think they'd want to put that stuff on TV. That's the more, like, the fiery, the more contentious stuff. That's more interesting. Yeah. And, like... When they don't like your dish, you know how people like get roasted when their dish sucks? Bro, yeah. they get extra, extra roasted in person. <laughs> I'd be sitting there and I'm like, yo. Would people cry a lot? Um, no, I cry a lot. I cry if you if you watch back, every single time somebody gets eliminated, there's probably a clip of me crying. <laughs> I cried every single time. When other people got got eliminated. Yeah, because, like, all we could do was just hang out with each other. So, like, when somebody leaves, then it's like, oh, now I only have four friends here. <laughs> so, <laughs> were you happy Were you happy with your edit, with how the you were you came across on TV? Yeah, 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 thank God. I was like, they're going to, there was, like, a few times that, like, I would, like, be carrying a blender back, and I, like, drop everything, and I'm like, fuck, they're going to make me, like, some klutz on TV or something. But they actually, they did pretty, pretty well. I was, like, pretty glad with that. I was like, oh. They me seem nice. <laughs> so you came in, you were the co-runner-up, right? Yes, me and Sue. What do you think you could have done differently to win, if anything? I don't know if that's a question you've asked yourself several times since the, since the show's over. When you come, okay, first off, I don't know if I'm technically supposed to say this, but I'm just going to say it. Mm -hmm. So when we come up with our recipes for the finale, right, we have... They give us three days, right? So we stopped filming on Friday. No, we stopped filming on Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we had those three days off. And they were like, come up with an appetizer, entree, dessert. I'm like, okay, sounds good. And then you practice your finale dishes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So you have three days to practice them after you like come up with the recipes. And I'm like, sick, love that. And then on Thursday is the finale. Like you're cooking that day, like on camera. So I came up with my three dishes and they were on point. And I was told like, Kelsey could do her dishes. Sue could do her dishes. They told me I couldn't do my dishes. They were like, just so you know, we pinned you as like this 
like Asian cook, like you cook Asian food, they were like, so the three dishes you chose were Italian, so we need you to go Asian instead. They pinned you as the Asian cook? Why? I don't know. And so I was like salty about it because like the three dishes I had were like, I knew I could have won if they just let me do the three dishes that I wanted to. But then they're like, no, we need you to go Asian. So then I was like, fuck it. I'll do like an Asian Italian fusion thing. That's something fishy to me. The fix is in. Yeah, that's weird. So like the dishes that I had, like for my entree, I originally had like a braised short rib with like a risotto. But then they were like, oh, we don't want you to do that. We want you to do Asian. So then I was like, fuck it. And then I did the miso cod with the sea urchin risotto. So like I kind of switched it up. But I'm still convinced if I was able to do the three dishes that I wanted to, okay. that shit would have won. And why did they peg you as the Asian cook? Is that Was that where a lot of your influence comes from? Or what's the background for that? Um, yeah, I lived I lived like in Tokyo for a little bit. Oh, okay. um, you know, I'm really into anime. I'm into video games. I eat a lot of Asian food. Okay, so that, that's... I mean, I eat a lot of Italian food too, but... <laughs> yeah, but so that's your character. That's the character they wanted to portray. Yeah, like, we, each the... had, like, a, we each had like our own little character. Like if you look, like every episode, Kelsey has like a headband on. Like she was the headband bitch. Every episode I had like little skirts and tanks. There's always tops. a headband like, was, bitch, like, isn't there? There's always one. Right? Oh, and she hated the headbands. This bitch hated the headbands. <laughs> <laughs> she hated them. Before you go on the show, they have you send 10 different pictures of outfits that you would normally wear on like an everyday basis. And so one of my outfits that I would wear on a regu- like, regular day was a, like a skirt and a tank top. And they immediately sent that picture back and they go, do you have more of these skirts? And I go, bitch, I have a million skirts. Do not even fuck with me. So that was like my thing. But then Kelsey goes, oh, all I did was send them like one picture and like a dress with a headband. And they literally sent that back and go, do you have more headbands? And she was like, no. <laughs> she was like, I never should have sent that. And like, Anne, if you look at Anne, like every day she has like, um, like animal print, either like a cheetah or like a zebra or some sort of animal print top. Like Abe, every single day they put him in like a button down, like shirt, making him like this little preppy kid, like. We all had like a Jersey Mike. I don't even know. He was doing his own little Jersey outfits. I don't know what his Guido. was. Guido. <laughs> yeah. When you're at the house or in LA, is it like a real, I'm envisioning like a real world situation where you're all living in a house together and your problems become each other problems because you can't leave because you're kind of quarantined in there. Is that how it is? Or are you each in an apartment? What is the LA experience? So we're in a hotel. Okay. It was girls on one floor, guys on the other floor. You were not allowed to go in anyone's room. You were not allowed to leave your room without a chaperone. Like, there was just so many rules. But every now and then, we'd break the rules, and I'd run into someone's room, be hanging out for a little bit. But then eventually, okay. because COVID got so bad, we couldn't even hang out downstairs by the bar, they got us another hotel room that we could just, like, all hang out in. We, you talked about wanting a uh, your own cooking show, but for now, what are you doing right now? And... Apart from the show, what do you envision comes next? Ooh, so um, right now I'm doing a lot of things, which is crazy. Um, in the process of buying a house, so all my shit is moving. Uh, Master Chef got me. I won the this like huge Viking range on the show, and like all this kitchen equipment. So once I moved into my house, my next step is like cooking videos, YouTube, doing some sort of cooking situation um but right now i'm just doing like private parties and um pokemon cards i do a lot of card openings the two go hand in hand obviously yeah. just <laughs> yeah. master chef and pokemon 
Yeah, and I used to stream on Twitch, but obviously because I'm moving, I can't do that anymore. But are you so like collecting, just collecting Pokemon cards? Yep. So I collect them. Um, I open them. I'm actually going to um, collect a con. I don't know if I'm doing Long Beach or Kansas City, but I'm doing like a, I'm doing like a, a box break. I'm doing like a card opening there. Oh, so you like you buy the boxes and you do like you film the, like unboxing. Yeah. That's what it's called, unboxing. Yeah, yeah, unboxing or um, selling them on like whatnot. Have you ever gone on whatnot like the live auctions? Mm, yeah, yeah. How many Pokemon are there now? Ooh, last I checked, like over nine hundred. Nine hundred. I used to be obsessed, and I haven't been in the Pokemon game for a long time. But it's just there just got to be too many. I can't keep up. Oh yeah, for a while I stopped playing the games and I like wasn't collecting the cards, and then, bitch, that shit started right back up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Favorite Game Boy Pokemon game of all time? Oh, one hundred percent Pokemon Crystal. Is that is that DS? No, it's Game Boy Color. That's for Game Boy Color. Yeah, so it's gold and gold and silver, and then they uh, had like, okay. a crystal one that like came after. It's almost like they had like the red and blue, and then they had like the yellow. Yellow was where I stopped. My or like I love blue and I love yellow and I love gold. But crystal's the best. But crystal crystal's essentially the same thing as gold. But I like that you get to do the Kanto region and the Johto region. You Tim, know? you gotta you gotta have both regions, Tim, right? You gotta you gotta catch them all. You yeah. gotta. <laughs> um, everything about opening your own restaurant. Oh, definitely have thought about it. Um, what would it be an Asian an Asian inspired restaurant? Since that's apparently your thing. Literally is my thing. I've thought about doing like pop-up restaurants here or there, but I do eventually want to open a restaurant. I'm thinking like in a few years because the whole COVID thing and just, I don't know. I feel like just things yeah. are weird right now. So it's just like not the time to be doing that. And like, I have a friend that, um, that like owns a restaurant and he was telling me like, Oh, like before COVID a case of chicken wings is $12. He was like, now a case of chicken wings, 80 bucks. He's like, so like food costs is out of control. And, I'm just gonna yeah. wait until everything chills a little bit, and then and then I'm gonna think about opening a restaurant. But I definitely do want to open one. I don't even know what kind of food I would do. I, Tim and I, we talked about. I, I've had a restaurant idea that I've told Tim a few times. We'll see. I'll see what you think about it. Just hear me out. It's really weird, but it's you basically go into the restaurant. It's split into two sides, right? You got the left and the right. You go to the right side. It's like a regular sit-down restaurant. You know, you order you order what you want. They bring your food. You pay. You leave. The left side has leftovers from the right side and this is all to prevent food waste right so you got like people on the first side of the restaurant that don't finish their mozzarella sticks they don't finish their whole pizza they don't finish their like quesadillas otherwise you just get thrown away right you hate food waste so other than besides throwing it away that food gets replated put on a buffet table goes to the left side of the restaurant people pay five bucks it's all you can eat of the leftovers from the first side. Restaurant makes like 1.5 times the amount of money on each dish. Gross, yes. Illegal, yes. But. <laughs> oh my God. Um, eliminates food waste. And it does. You get what you pay for. Concept. You can tell me it's terrible. I know it's terrible, but I'm convinced <laughs> to find one person. I don't, who's gonna eat on the on the right side? Because the right and side, this is anyone. something I, I normal people. I didn't bring this up the last time you brought up this idea, but I'm not probably gonna go eat at that restaurant on the right side, knowing that the food is probably just crap bar food 
that is going to go to the left side. Like, right? Like, it almost seems like it's you're preparing to take advantage of the people that are dining on the right side. No, because if you finish all your food, it's not going to, it's not going to, there's not going to be any leftovers. So just finish your food, Tim. Yeah, but I'm, assu- I'm assuming, perhaps wrongly, but I'm assuming that the food isn't very good. It's just out of the box, into the fryer, bar foods. That's a, that's just an assumption that you're making based on no evidence. That's going to be your upscale Asian fusion restaurant. If I don't finish my mozzarella sticks, I'm bringing them bitches with me. But that's no me too. But people don't do that. It's crazy. Like you go to restaurants, you see people leave like four mozzarella sticks on the table, like three slices of pizza, and then they just leave. And then that's it. the food gets you know maybe goes back to the kitchen or gets thrown away. Painful to see it. Hate to see it. So repurpose it, resell it make more money on it you get what you pay for five bucks yeah you're not gonna you're not paying for cleanliness or quality it's five bucks all you can eat anyway take that idea if you want run with it it's all you you can have it Um, you're you're welcome you're welcome because you can have it yeah timmy anything else before we close out i think that's good uh where can where can people find you on them what do you mean where like social media, you got a favorite restaurant you hang out on on Friday nights. Where are people gonna? Find you? <laughs> not not like your home address, <laughs> like online. <laughs> I'm like wait, I'm like, um yeah, social media. I'm pretty much Kitty Autumn on all my social media: Instagram, TikTok. I just started TikToking. That's interesting. I just feel so weird like taking videos of myself and just being like, hi guys. Tim's trying to break <laughs> into the TikTok scene. What, what what advice would you have for him? Uh, just post anything <laughs> just post anything like i was always like oh it's kind of like i always post on my instagram stories but i'm like okay that's fine like it's gone in 24 hours i don't have to deal with it because sometimes i'm like cringy and i'm like i'm like am i okay yeah um but yeah just post shit because people don't give a fuck they just want to watch it tim shirtless right. trendy dances that's what people want to see from you tim hell yeah all right yeah i gotta hone my dance moves it is summer though so it's good Cool. All right. Thanks for coming on again, Autumn. We will wish you luck on the restaurant venture and hope to see you on TV soon. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Welcome to News of the Day. Thanks again to Autumn Moretti for joining us today, talking about all things MasterChef. Uh, Now we're going to get into our first article, which is Qantas just announced its first direct flight from Sydney to New York and London. It's starting not for a few years, starting in 2025, and it'll be the Sydney to London route will be the longest passenger flight nonstop in the world at 20 hours. Hmm. 20 hours. That is a long That's flight. insane. Do you think you would take that flight? Do you think you'd rather have layovers? I hate layovers, but honestly, 20 hours is just is a time that is a length of time that I can't even wrap my head around. Yeah, that is a long flight, man. I I generally don't mind layovers as long as they're not like six or seven hours long. But uh, this would be a time when I may actually prefer a layover. I don't know, though. Like I, I could see it being kind of a novelty. And if you have some points to upgrade to a, like a better seat, this would be the time to use them. Okay, well, obviously, if you can upgrade to a better seat or if you could sleep, but... Because yeah. if you have a if you have first class or business class, you can sleep for part of it. That's fine. That that negates like six of the hours. But if you're in economy, uncomfortable, not great food, just sitting upright the entire time, twenty hours. Like I almost 
I mean, uh, how many air how many airplane meals do you eat in twenty hours? Like, there that is going to smell really bad on that plane. By the I end. know, like, well, how many airplane meals do most people eat, or how many airplane meals do I eat? Because I most people probably eat like three. I eat probably seven or eight if I can. And then not eating that much too, and not sleeping isn't good for your body. Like, your body needs to sleep in between. Like, it needs to have what it thinks is a is a night's rest before waking up again and ingesting more food that's why when you like are on an overnight flight and you don't sleep and you have like three meals a day for the day prior to the flight and then you don't sleep at all you stay up all day and you have three more meals the next day your body thinks it's all in one day and i always feel like not great because i feel like you need to you need to have like a rest for your body to reset and, and almost like digest i would rather have 10 hours layover for like four or five hours in a nice lounge where I can maybe sleep. Not a lounge, not a fancy lounge with beds or anything, but just, just anywhere just I can put my- Just priority pass, just a priority pass lounge. Somewhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere I can put my feet up, get like a little bit of a recline, sleep for maybe an hour or two, and then just get that little bit of recharged and then hop on my next 10 hour leg. Two 10 hour legs, while 10 hours is a long time, sounds so much more manageable than 20 hours straight. It's just, I don't know. You're going to show up in Australia or London or wherever feeling like absolute shit. A little layover might help that. Yeah. I Honestly, I don't think it, I, I mean, it, it's a long flight. Don't get me wrong. The biggest problem I see is, is like your knees uh, and the need to like move around and stretch a little bit on that flight. Because like, you know, you're talking about the sleeping and the meals, but there's also the like, you need to digest that food. You need to burn some calories. You need to be, you know, you have to walk, you get up, stand up. Sedentary. Yeah, you can't just be, yeah. exactly. You can't be sedentary. And I, I like to measure uh, flight time in how many movies watched. So if it's like a six-hour flight, I'm like, oh, six hours sounds like kind of long. But you know what? That's like two to three movies. That's not that bad. You watch two to three movies, two movies, listen to one or two podcasts, you're done. Twenty hours. If assuming movies are like two hours long. That's 10 movies. Did I just have to do that math on my calculator? Yes. 10 movies. That's a lot of movies. Like, good luck finding 10 movies you want to watch on whatever in-flight entertainment menu. Well, speaking of uh, long-stop travels, Disney has just announced that you can now spend $110,000 per person for a 24-day tour to all of its properties around the world for that $110,000 fee. Uh, you get to visit 31 sites you, it includes 68 meals over the 24 days, so you, that's most of the meals, not all of them probably. Uh, VIP accommodations at each park, and you will be traveling on a private jet. So it's basically all-inclusive, but you've got to be a pretty big Mickey Mouse fan to want to make that work. I feel like there's a this contingent of Disney adults that would hop all over this. Sure. You know, like sure. whether it would actually be financially worth it or not, I don't know. But there's there's increasingly, I feel like I'm coming across people in their 30s who are just obsessed with Disney. It's a nostalgia and thing. And all they all they watch are Disney movies in an effort to kind of recapture their childhood. I guess they're like, oh my god, you gonna go for your birthday this year? Yeah, they're like, oh, I'm gonna go for my 32nd birthday to Disney World, obviously for the 70th time. And I'm like, I, and I have nothing against Disney World. I went once, had a good time, but it just seems to be this trend of uh, trying to grasp for 
the last vestiges of your youth by clinging to, to Disney. It's kind of an acceptable hobby to still like as an adult. So I think people can get away with it. But it's definitely something I've noticed. And it's, it's a trend that's not new, Disney adults. But I've had more in my life now than I think I, re- I used to realize. Well, it, and that's obviously what they're going for with this because a kid doesn't care about a $110,000 thing. And a kid, a little kid doesn't want to go on a 24-day trip. You know, they just want to go to the one park in Florida. So they're, they're obviously targeting wealthy adults who are, are uh, craving a, a dose of nostalgia here. Yeah. Hey, I love Disney. Aladdin's still one of my favorite movies. What's your favorite Disney movie, Tim? Probably Aladdin. What? We have the same Disney movie? Yeah. Wow. In fact, I haven't I haven't watched it in a long time, but I've really wanted to watch it. And I, I remember within the last year or so searching through all the streaming platforms to see if it was streaming anywhere, and it's not, other than Disney Plus, I suppose. But, like, none of the ones that I subscribe to, I couldn't find it anywhere. You don't even subscribe to Disney Plus, huh? No. So not a big Star Wars guy and not a big enough Aladdin guy, apparently. No. And, and you know, it's funny reading this story because it reminded me of the fact that uh, uh, the Star Wars hotel that Disney opened just completely tanked. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious uh, right. why. And part of the reason why it, was, it, was, it didn't do better is because it was so expensive. So now they're launching an even more expensive trip. Interesting. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us, of course, a five-star review. And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Flow underscore on Instagram, and he's TimWinger1. Also, a big shout-out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halke, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Matador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week.